This morning, we're going to look at a story in Scripture that comes from the book of Numbers. And the book of Numbers is part of the first five books in the Old Testament referred to as the Pentateuch. History records that the Pentateuch is majoritively authored by Moses as he tells the history of creation and the development of the Jewish nation coming out of Egyptian slavery and then crossing over into their promised land. And in Numbers 22, we find the story of the Israelites traveling through the land named Moab. On the screen to the left and the right, that map shows Moab in the upper right-hand corner. The story that is recorded in Numbers 22 is happening in the 39th year of Israel's 40-year journey looking for the land flowing with milk and honey. This will represent the last battle that the Hebrew children have in the wilderness. Oh, there, there are more battles to come in the promised land, but, but Moab will represent the last hurdle that stands between them and Joshua leading them over the Jordan River into the land that God has given them as an inheritance. But Moab comes with a challenge that we'll read about in a moment that I think helps reveal both the strategy and the character and the disposition of God towards his people. The king of Moab is a man named Balak. He wants to weaken, harass, and curse the children of Israel because he was threatened by their size, their momentum, and their mandate. And so the king of Moab, he hires a phony prophet by the name of Balaam to curse God's people. And in doing so, actually helps reveal the beauty and the brilliance of God's sovereign plan. Let me just stop there for a moment and make an observation about a name because names are of spiritual significance. It's interesting that Moab actually gets its name from a story recorded in Genesis 19. For Moab is the son of an incestuous relationship that Lot has with his oldest daughter when he is drunk. And Moab goes on to become the father of who? The Moabites. It's interesting to me that the name Moab translates to the English phrase, watch, who is your father? Isn't it interesting that the final battle in the wilderness, just prior to God's people graduating into the promised land, the Hebrew children have to defeat a foe whose name literally means, who is your father? And are we not in many ways fighting that same foe today? Doesn't the devil work overtime to get us to doubt who the father is and distrust what the father says? Doesn't the enemy love to injure us with wounds from our natural family so that we can't ever feel safe in our spiritual family? See, friend, it's not just a spiritual identity crisis that we face. It's a natural one as well. 
For when dads disappear from the home and father figures disappear from society, kids are left to be raised by the father of lies. And I would just venture to say that today would be a good day to forgive your earthly father so you can more accurately receive identity from your heavenly one. Often, the final and most difficult battle that stands between you and your destiny is the battle over identity. Who is your father? Oh, it's no wonder that A.W. Tozer once said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, when I think about God, I'm reminded that he is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner. I'm reminded that he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Sid Canoe, the Lord, my righteousness. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is my peace. Oh, in fact, he is our great high priest. He is the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valleys. He is the bright and morning star. But most importantly, he has given us the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. See, you've got a good father who gives good gifts, who withholds no good things from those who walk uprightly. And what does your heavenly father look like? He looks like Jesus. For if you have seen the son, you have seen the father. See, religion paints the father as one who is always irritated and constantly upset looking to micromanage your life, hit you over the head with a hammer for your last mistake. But Jesus was sent to reveal the Father to humanity. For God so loved that he gave, that whosoever would believeth in the Son should have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. And here's the danger. <clears throat> if you don't know what the father looks like, you run the risk of becoming confused on what you look like. See, last week, I found myself in the emergency room, sick. Flu's going around. The doctor said this is the worst flu season we've ever seen. So crazy, two years ago, the flu disappeared. Now it's back. I got hit, sick, puking, coughing, you name it. Wound up in the ER, you know what it's like. Sit there for a couple hours, you feel worse by the moment. Finally, they call your name, you feel like you won the lottery, you head back to the room, they listen to your chest, your heartbeat, your pulse, your oxygen levels, and then they start asking you questions to give you a diagnosis, to properly prescribe you the medicine you need to get through your medical journey. I'm sitting in the doctor's room and he began to ask me all these questions and I didn't understand the angle that he was after. He said, have you been on any hormone therapy treatments lately? I said, well, I drink Red Bull on Sunday, but that's about it. He said, any major surgeries I should know about? 
I don't think so. He said, what about your chest? Any major surgeries up there that, that, that we should be informed about because we're concerned with some of the things that we're seeing and, and, and we don't wanna be offensive. We just need your full medical history. And I was like, I'm telling you everything I know. I just feel sick. I just got the flu. What's going on? The doctor left the room. You know what happens when you check into the hospital, they give you that little wristband. I looked down on my wristband. It said, Johnson Russell, everything spelled right. Had my birthday, 21186, everything looked right. Gender, female. I said, oh, now I understand. Doctor came back in the room. I said, listen, just for clarity's sake, just for the record's sake, I've never been a woman a day in my life. Just wanted you to know, we gotta clear that up. He said, well, I was wondering, you know, I didn't wanna ask, I didn't wanna offend you, but we was a little confused. Now, I know I'm not a good looking man, but I'm a terrible looking woman. I just said, hey, y'all you, you, got this wrong. Y'all gonna fix this. <laughs> Here's what I found. A confused identity will cause you to live in the graveyard, not realizing you've been invited to the king's table. It was Les Brown who said, the graveyard is the richest place on earth because it is here that you will find all the hopes and dreams that was never fulfilled the books that was never written, the songs that was never sung, the inventions that were never shared, the cures that were never discovered, all because someone was too afraid to take the first step or too discouraged to carry out their dream. Friend, the church isn't a graveyard, it's a delivery room. It is filled with new life, new hope, new dreams, new beginnings, and friend, it is simply never too late to have a fresh start. Have you ever been on the maternity floor of a hospital? Babies is crying, families are gathering, gifts are being given, names are being recorded. It is chaos and beauty all wrapped into one because what was carried for nine months has finally arrived. See, the Hebrew children, they've carried a dream for 39 years, a promise of new life, a fresh start for their families. And for 39 years, all it has felt like is one miscarriage after another. But this year, it would be different. This year would not be a year of disappointment. It would be a year where a promise was fulfilled. For God had not forgotten. God had not abandoned his people. And their best days were right around the corner. Can I prophesy to someone this morning? Your season of miscarriage is coming to an end. This next year is going to be different. You haven't been abandoned. You haven't been forgotten. You got a God who is faithful to finish what he started. See, my wife and I, we had back-to-back -back what are called ectopic pregnancies. My wife ended up on chemotherapy, had surgery several times. The doctor said, you will never have another natural child again. But we've got three today because God always has the final say. Now watch Numbers 22. Here's where the story begins. This is good. It says, Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they was many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So the king of Moab sent messengers to a phony prophet named Balaam saying, look at these people who came from Egypt. Now come and put a curse on these people for they are too powerful for me. 
But God's anger was aroused against Balaam. The angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Now the donkey that Balaam sat upon saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. And finally the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. She said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've struck me three times? And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, why have you struck your donkey? Behold, it is me who has come out to stand against you. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with these men, but you will only speak what I tell you. Now, I love Numbers 22. I'm so encouraged when I read this chapter. In fact, the first time I read it, the Lord spoke to me and said, Russell, if I can use that jackass, I can use you. I said, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. The Bible says Balak, who is the king of Moab, is exceedingly afraid because the people was many. I want you to know that when God begins to prosper you, it strikes fear in the heart of your enemies. The best revenge is not you getting even, it's you getting blessed. For when you are blessed, you are favored. And when you are favored, you are strengthened. And when you are strengthened, you are positioned for victory because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. You don't walk alone, you walk with angel armies. You don't walk alone, you walk with the community of God's saints. When we marched into this region, an angelic host came with us and it struck fear into the heart of the enemy for there are more that are with us than are with him. Now, Balak, the king of Moab, he hires a phony prophet named Balaam to come out and curse Israel. Balaam loads up on his donkey, travels towards the battlefield, but on his way, he is interrupted by an angel of the Lord who will not let him pass. Balak is terrified, so he allows his fear to motivate him to hire a false prophet to say false things. Watch, unchecked fear motivates untrue prophecy. When fear dominates your life, you will confess the wrong thing. I won't ever recover. My mind can't ever be healed. My life can't ever be whole. My marriage won't ever be strengthened. I'll never get that promotion. Hear me. It is time to stop allowing fear, shame, and condemnation to cause you to confess the wrong reality. Your past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. And you've got permission today to change your interior dialogue. And in doing so, watch God shift your exterior circumstance. But here's what I love. God interrupts Balaam and stands in the way. Friend, I am convinced that there are enemies you don't even know about. That when they came for you, God himself stood in the road and opposed them on your behalf. You thought it was your charm. You thought it was your resume. You thought it was your muscular build. You thought it was your financial strength. No, you had a God who stood on the road and would not let your enemies pass until what they intended for evil, God could use for good. Now watch. God eventually allows Balaam to pass, but not until he gives him divine instructions. You will only speak what I tell you. Hundreds of years later, the prophet Nehemiah retells this story to the Hebrew children as they are working to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. 
And in Nehemiah 13, the prophet says, the enemy hired Balaam to curse the Israelites. However, our God has turned every curse into a blessing. Yeah, watch what the book of Proverbs says. Many are a plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Don't you see the theme? God takes every arrow, every stone, every curse, every attack, and he turns it into a tool for your advancement. <laughs> yeah, Balaam, he, he, he pays this phony prophet a sum of money. He takes him out to the battlefield. He says, all right, we're going to curse these Israelites. They ain't never going to make it to their promise. They're going to be so confused about where they came from, who their father is, that they turn back and head to Egypt. Let's get ready to hear the curse. The Bible says the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. Go back to King Balak and give him this word. Then Balaam spoke this message. Balak is ready for a curse but he's got no idea what is coming next. The witches and the warlocks, they've gathered to hear Balaam's words. And as a hush falls over the Moabite leaders, Balaam begins to prophesy and watch his first prophetic blessing. The descendants of Israel are like the dust. There are too many of them to be counted. The offspring of Jacob, the nation and its people, they will be great and they will be numerous. It's interesting. The first curse that gets turned into a blessing that Balaam declares over God's people is the first covenantal promise that God gives Abraham before he ever creates a nation out of him. He says, Abraham, one day you will be the father of many. Your descendants, they will be as populated as the sands of the earth and the stars of the sky. I love this because God is using Balaam to remind God's people that the same God who was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is even faithful to a remnant people while they are walking through a desert searching for a promise. Balaam gets up and with a loud voice declares a blessing. And can you imagine the shock? and the outrage of the Moabite leaders. In fact, Balak says to Balaam, what have you done to me? <laughs> I brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them. See, I'm convinced the enemy tried to curse your family, but God says, I'll bless your seed. The enemy tried to destroy your marriage, but God says, I will bless your covenant. The enemy wanted to steal the next generation, but God has given you children as a righteous inheritance. See, the enemy hates the seed because he's terrified of the harvest. Oh, he may have bruised your heel, but you were born to crush his head. And Christ has redeemed you from the curse of sin and death, meaning you serve a resurrected Jesus and you have victory over a defeated devil. But it wasn't just one blessing there was another blessing that was coming. The second blessing that Balaam declares over God's people comes from verse 24. And God's people will rise like a lion and devour their prey. Not only will they multiply, 
Not only will their offspring be more numerous than the sands of the earth, but God's people will rise like a lion and have victory over their foes. See, friend, following God doesn't mean you won't have battles. It means that when you fight your battles, you're fighting from a place of victory because God has already won. The king is so frustrated, watch how he responds. Come, let me take you to another place. Let me give you another perspective. Perhaps then it will please God to let you curse them for me from there. So Balak takes Balaam up to a high place thinking that if he can change his perspective, a curse will come instead of a blessing. So Balaam goes to another place, he gets another perspective, and what comes yet again is another blessing. Balaam declares in verse eight, the third blessing, God's people will have the strength of an ox and consume the nations. Sometimes all it takes to have a fresh blessing is just to get a new perspective. Oh, I thought my life was tough, but then I got a new perspective. No, I thought everyone was against me, but, but then I got a new perspective. No, my location changed. My mind cleared up. My joy came back. And what I found was more blessings than I could possibly contain. See, that's what I hope pursuit is for you on a Sunday morning. It is a temporary change of perspective so you can see your circumstance like God sees your circumstance. I'm actually more blessed than I realized. I'm actually more favored than I realized. I'm actually realizing now that God has rescued me out of the miry clay and put me on a firm foundation. I was feeling down. I was wallowing in self-pity. I was so distracted by the things that I have come through. But man, on Sunday morning, that spirit of heaviness lifted off my life. My eyes cleared up. My spirit rejoiced. I got a fresh perspective of actually how good God has been in my life. See, it's not that you don't have anything to be thankful for. It's that we so often forget his blessings that when we face trial, we have the audacity to be upset at a God who was faithful in our last desert and will be faithful in this desert too. And that's why the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story because the testimony of a believer is the spirit of prophecy. And some of you here today must take the biblical instruction to prophesy yourself into a fresh place of hope, joy, and peace by retelling the story of how good God has been in your life. Oh, I got a long history and memory of how good God has been. It wasn't just a third blessing, there was a fourth blessing that was coming. This is maybe my favorite. Balaam opens his mouth again in Numbers 24 and in verse 10. He says, I see him, but, but, but not now. I behold him, but it is not yet near. For there is a star that is coming out of Jacob a scepter that will rise out of Israel and he will crush the foreheads of Moab. I love this because the fourth blessing is actually a messianic prophecy. The star that rises out of the house of Jacob is the bright and morning star, Jesus Christ. And not only is he rising with healing and victory in his wings, but it will crush the forehead of Moab. God is using 
a, a phony paid out prophet who intends to curse Israel, who has so been struck by the fear of God that he can only now repeat God's promises to his people. And he uses Balaam to prophesy a new covenant reality. There will come a day where the seed of Jacob will crush the foreheads of Moab and he will be your guiding and leading star. It's not just that, but if you were to read the lineage of Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels, you would find that there is a woman named Ruth who eventually becomes the great grandmother of David, who finds herself in the lineage of Christ. And wouldn't you know it that she is from a tribe of people called the Moabites? I want you to see God's divine sense of strategy and of humor. The enemy thought that he was gonna use this tactic to destroy God's people. Not only will that not happen, but God will raise up a widow from Moab to be a part of the lineage that will see the salvation and consolation of Israel birthed. Cause God never leaves the story halfway done. At this point in the story, Balak literally tells Balaam, I will give you money to just go home. Please stop talking. This is not going the way that I wanted it to. You have blessed them instead of cursed them. This isn't making me look good. It's giving me more fear than I had before. Just please go home. But here's what I found about a blessing of God. It'll start out as a trickle and then it'll turn into a stream. And then it's a stream, but then it turns into a river. And pretty soon it's ankle deep and then knee deep and waist deep until eventually the blessing of God overtakes you. Once a blessing starts, there ain't no enemy in hell that can stop what God God has initiated. So Balaam continues. Watch blessing number five. And Israel will overcome their enemies and their foes will be last. God says promotion belongs to me. The first are last, the last are first. See, I raise up and I bring down. I exalt one and I humble another. Now, it may not look like it right now, but friend, you are an overcomer in Christ Jesus. And God is even turning enemies into footstools on your behalf. But Balaam ain't done. Watch the prophetic blessing, number six, coming from verse 22. And your enemies <laughs> will serve you. <laughs> it's not just that you will have victory. It'll be so utterly and totally all-encompassing that that which opposed you in the last season now serves your best interest in this season. Do you know what my prayer is for all the conflict we're having in Seattle? That one day, that young man who threw a brick through our window, I see him at the altar worshiping Jesus. One day, them people sending anonymous letters, they'll find themselves in the house of God signing up to serve. 
that those folks who have been so opposed and so against us, oh, they would be interrupted by a God who stands in the middle of their road and says this far, but no further. My eye is on you. I'm coming after you. Your heart belongs to me. Your future belongs to me. Oh, God turns enemies into servants every day of the week. He took an enemy named Saul and turned him into a servant named Paul. Don't tell me God can't do it in Seattle. Don't tell me God can't cause what has opposed us in the last season to serve us in this season. I am telling you as a prophetic promise for this church and your life, your enemies will serve you. And it's not just that. Number seven, the seventh and final prophetic blessing that good old Balaam issues over God's children. Balaam speaks his final prophecy in verse 23. Who stands a chance when God starts in? This wasn't the day that the king of Moab wanted, but it was a necessary battle that the children of God had to walk through. And it would serve, hear me, as a signpost for their next season. The God who rescued you in the deserts of Moab will give you victory over the walled city of Jericho. The God who rescued you in Moab, he'll give you a holy city named Jerusalem. The God who preserved you in the midst of your grumbling and complaining and your backsliding, the one who was faithful when you were faithless, he is not yet done with your life, your family, your business, your marriage, your children, your property, your inheritance. That God is not yet done. I know they're cursing us, but my God has turned every curse into a blessing. I know they're throwing stones, but I'm going to use them to build. I know they're shooting arrows, but I'm going to use them for our benefit because the God that we serve, he is for me, not against me, and he is not done yet. And I would venture to say, I would venture to say that if the promises of God were good enough for a ragtag traveling band of three million lost people in the wilderness, then they are good enough for us today. Come on, would you stand with me as we close? <coughs> In doing so, I want to read these seven blessings over your life. I believe that these blessings actually function as keys for your next spiritual season. They will open doors that no man can shut. They will make ways where there seems to be no way. Listen, I'm not just speaking over you today. I'm not just speaking in some kind of corporate sense. That message was really good for my neighbor, but I don't know if it applies to me. No, friend, these are prophetic promises for your life. I'm declaring over you today 
that your family is blessed by God according to Numbers 23 and verse 10. I'm declaring your victory is assured by God according to Numbers 23 and verse 24. I'm declaring your territory is expanding with God according to verse 8. I'm declaring your salvation was purchased by God according to verse 17. I'm declaring your promotion is coming from God according to verse 20. I'm declaring your justice will not be denied by God according to verse 22. And I'm declaring your provision is coming from God according to verse 23 because this is the God you have working on your behalf. Who is your father? He is the father of lights. And in him there is no shadow of turning. And he delights in his children. And every good and perfect promise comes from the Father above. This is who you are. This is the type of church we are. And this, my friend, is the type of God we serve. And to the increase of his kingdom and his government, there is no end. Come on, let me pray for you today. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we're asking for your ever-present help in our time of need. Like Mary, after the angel Gabriel visited her and told her that she would birth the Messiah, may our response to you be this. Let it be unto us according to your word. Let this word be true for me. Let this word be true for my children's children. Let this word be true for my sphere of influence. Let this word be true for my gifting and my anointing. May this word be true in my life. God, today we align ourselves under the canopy of God's blessing and we say, let it be true unto us according to your words. We pray these things now in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, all God's people said amen. Thank you so much.